This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. New York's one of those organizations where it's all about winning. From what I've heard, nothing else matters in that clubhouse. It's a group of guys trying to make each other better, trying to push for October. And I mean, seriously, ever since I got the news that the Yankees were where I was headed, I can't stop thinking about that. I've heard Yankees in October is just absolutely incredible. Hopefully we get to have fans at some point because I've heard, uh, you know, it's a very special place to play when the fans are there packing it in October. And, you know, I'm a fan of baseball. I've always been a fan of baseball. And as a kid, like when I think of playoff baseball, I think of Yankee Stadium in October. So, you know, I'd welcome the opportunity to get to do it. Um, you know, I've pitched maybe in all of my pro baseball career, maybe one playoff game, like in the minor leagues even. So, you know, I can't wait to, to be a part of that winning culture and contribute to it. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have MLB.com's Brian Hoke. How you doing, Brian? Hi, John. Good to be back on with you. Always good to have you. Uh, We're going to talk to Brian for a little bit here. And then in our second segment today, we have a really special thing coming up. It is, as I've mentioned a couple times recently, you know, we, we, we put together a holiday package this year that included the ability to participate in a segment on the Yankees Magazine podcast. Well, we have our first segment coming up today. It's with Calvin Curtis, a Yankees fan from Salt Lake City, Utah. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. He wants to talk about how pitchers rehab and things like that. So it's going to be a cool conversation. So stick around for that one. But first, we have the author of Baby Bombers. We have the author of Mission 27 and, of course, the upcoming Bronx Zoom. And one thing that I've noticed, Brian, is you've become a little bit of a video star lately on MLB.com with the Daily Bases segments. Well, yeah, it's something new we're trying at MLB.com. I don't know if it's going to extend to all 30 reporters, but I think that's the goal at some point. So um, part of a little pilot program where we're just we're not just writing. We're also doing a little on camera work. And so it's been fun. It's been a fun experience, you know, in this new world here. uh, It's not like I'm going to a TV studio to shoot this stuff. So we're all kind of trying to figure it out at home and uh, ordering some ring lights and stuff on Amazon and having that shipped to the house. So it's been interesting, but um, it's been kind of cool to uh, try and expand my horizons a little bit and do, um, you know, I, obviously I grew up watching so many uh, like Bruce Beck on NBC and now I kind of feel like I'm imitating Bruce Beck a little bit. So it's been kind of cool to just do a, a nightly or every other day, a recap of what's going on in the uh, the, the Yankees universe and 
uh, hopefully it's something we can continue into spring training and the regular season. I feel like I have to say this, and I'll apologize in advance, but as uh, someone who runs a podcast for which you are our most distinguished and I dare say regular guest, <laughs> it is my uh, sincere, sincere hope that video does not kill the radio star. Wow. That was a long way to go to make that reference, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Sometimes the buildup just it makes it all worth it. But it's cool. I, I really enjoy the videos. I, I like the I like how quick they are. I like how really just on on point they are and the the good thing is i guess you started at a time when finally 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 there's baseball news this offseason well i'm glad yeah i'm glad we didn't do it a month ago because every episode would have been the yankees are trying to re-sign dj lemayhu but no movement yet and so uh, i'm glad we actually have some uh things to talk about now the dj is done Corey kluber is on board the jameson tie-on trade is complete so i think we're starting to get a better indication of what the 2021 Yankee roster is going to look like. But yeah, you're right. Look, it's hard to believe spring training is three weeks away, less than three weeks away for, uh, for pitchers and catchers. And I know uh, everything kind of feels upside down still in the world, but if, uh, if the guys are back on the field, it's Steinbrenner field, then maybe things will start to feel a little normal again. It's actually funny to think back to, because in general, the longest two weeks in the sports calendar for a baseball fan is right when the Super Bowl ends, that that time between the Super Bowl ending and pitchers and catchers. And yet, I think we actually truly saw what was really the longest period in the calendar for sports fans last year when we went months without baseball. So I almost feel like we're prepped to deal with that gap this year. But like you said, I mean, I, I guess you don't have any information for me as I sit here with a stack of things to fact check and write and prepare for our spring training program. You know, we're, we're kind of, I assume like you and from players I've spoken to, I assume like them, we're just kind of rolling ahead as though things are going to open on February 15th and we'll see what happens. It, until I'm told differently. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we've discussed, I'm down here in Tampa. And so right now everybody is uh, crazy about the Super Bowl, and that's going to be happening in two weeks here, uh, less than two weeks. Uh, and obviously the bucks are in it. So it's, that's the big story in Tampa right now. But uh, you know, one week after that, it's going to be Yankees pitchers and catchers at uh, Steinbrenner field. And so, um, you know, my gut tells me, sure. I mean, if, if Florida is okay with having 22,000 people at the Super Bowl, then I, I find it hard to believe we're not going to have pitchers and catchers on the field at Steinbrenner Field across the street in a week. Makes sense. I, li I like your deductive reasoning. So let's move into the team, though. Uh, it, it's, as we've mentioned a little bit, it's finally kind of starting to come into focus what the 2021 Yankees roster is going to look like. I think we have a lot more answers now, both in terms of moves that are already done and also things that you can kind of speculate that are not done yet, but that we now understand a little bit more in terms of who might come back, who might not come back, and kind of where you imagine at this point Brian Cashman is looking to make those last moves. But in the last two weeks since the last time we did an episode here, DJ LeMahieu has resigned, and Corey Kluber is coming over. And now, recently, uh, we just finished the Jameson Tyon deal, and we're recording this right now on Tuesday. Yesterday, we all had a chance to jump on a Zoom call with him and I have to say, before I get into anything else, that was quite a coat he was wearing. I was very impressed. I want to learn more about this guy's fashion sense because he really did dress up for his, his his Zoom call. But beyond that, I don't know about you, it was just a joy to talk to him. And I hope that we get ever back into a clubhouse because I'd like to spend a lot of time talking to him. 
that's the reviews that I got from our, our Pirates reporter, uh, Adam Berry, who's covered the Pirates for a long time, told me that Jameson Tyone is just one of the all-time great guys. And, uh, you know, he asked me, he said, you know, how's Garrett been? And I said, he's been, he's been great. And he said, well, Tyon's better. And I was like, okay, well, then bring him on. Um, and so, yeah, I think that uh, when the world does get back to normal, and a- even in a Zoom setting, as we saw yesterday, I think Tyon is going to be, as far as a talker, he's an all-star already in my book. And so I just think he's going to be a good fit for New York, period. You know, as long, I mean, the question with Jamison Tyon is going to be health. And he's been through so much already in his career. You know, a couple of Tommy John surgeries. He had a, a hernia surgery. He had a bout with testicular cancer. So this guy has been through the ups and downs already. Uh, I, I think he, what you got yesterday on the Zoom was a legitimate sense that he's just hungry to be on the mound and to contribute to a winning team. You know, he talked about how it lit a fire under him. Uh, the idea that he's not with the rebuilding pirates who are just kind of trying to peel a year off the calendar with the Yankees. It's win now. That's the only important thing. And he feels like he's ready to do that. Ever since I got the news that I was going to New York, you know, I, I haven't felt nervous. I haven't felt overwhelmed. I've just been extremely excited for the opportunity. Um, I feel like I'm at a, a maturity level and a point in my career and a point in my life where this is what I want. Um, this is a team I want to be a part of. This is a team I want to help. It's really interesting talking to Jameson and also thinking about Corey Kluber. And just, it's hard because you want to, on the one hand, say that the, the perspective people have of what the Yankees are supposed to be and anything like that, the Yankees aren't supposed to buy lottery tickets in a sense. And yet, if you look at the rotation right now, you have a rotation that could be just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, if you go by past history, but there are question marks there. Severino is going to come back from Tommy John surgery sometime in the middle of the season. And we're used to guys coming back from Tommy John surgery and being effective, but it's not a guarantee, obviously. You know, Jordan Montgomery hasn't pitched that much since his rehab. No one pitched that much last year, obviously, but 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 he's a guy who we haven't seen a full season from rehab. We haven't seen Domingo Herman in about a year and a half. And, and then you go down the list, and, and now you add Corey Kluber, who was injured a lot recently. And of course, Tyon is coming off his second Tommy John surgery. This is a rotation that, my God, could easily – you could see a lot of all-stars on there. I didn't even mention Garrett Cole. But also, you know, there are the question marks. Injuries are what could keep this team from getting to the World Series. And I, I think we've seen that in the past. But if they're healthy, and I know that's a big if, um, you know, I, I really like the way this is shaping up. I love the idea of Kluber, the people I've talked to. I've said that, uh, you know, I know he only pitched one inning last year, but this is something that he should be able to, to bounce back from and, and tie on. Uh, there's a long history of guys coming back from Tommy John. I, there's a shorter history of guys after the second one. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just at this point in the schedule, I'd like to believe I, I want to believe that uh, everybody comes to spring training in the best shape of their life and is going to have the best year of their uh, their careers. And then you adjust if it doesn't happen. And I think that's what you're seeing Cashman do with the depth in numbers in the rotation. And yeah, you, you can count on Severino coming back at some point. That's probably going to be June or July. And that's almost like a trade deadline pickup in a lot of ways. But you got Cole, who is a Cy Young candidate. You got Kluber, who's already won two, two Cy Youngs in his career and is trying to, to get back to that form. And then Tyon, who is a, you know, a legitimate number two, I, I think, if healthy. He showed that in 2018. So I, I like that starting three. Look, you'd prefer to have five Garrett Coles, but as far as I know, uh, we're not doing the the multiplicity thing. Uh, what was that? A Michael Keaton movie, I think, back in the day where yes. he cloned yes. himself. 
you know, if you could send Garrett Cole in there and clone five, uh, four or five Garrett Coles, I, I'd like to do that. But uh, I don't think that's an option here. And, and from everything we've seen, uh, it doesn't look like the Yankees are going to get Trevor Bauer, who is the best pitcher on the market. So I, I think that's why you've seen the moves you've seen right now. It's pretty funny to me for all the talk earlier in the offseason about how Trevor Bauer, for all of his skills, there might have been a clubhouse issue with there with Garrett Cole based on their history at UCLA. I don't think that anybody at the time was talking about the polar opposite of that, which is what if we bring in a guy who was like one of Garrett Cole's best friends <laughs> from early in his career? And it was great hearing Tyone yesterday talk about rooming with Garrett Cole and the benefits that come with it, which are, you know, five-star meals and incredible wine pairings. I'm really excited to, to rejoin with Garrett. You know, he's a great teammate. Um, he cares a lot about his craft. He cares a lot about his teammates. You know, we came up through the system together in Pittsburgh. We were roommates in spring training for a few years. I leaned on him extremely heavily in Pittsburgh when I got called up because he beat me to, to Pittsburgh by a few years. So I asked him everything as a rookie. Uh, I looked up to him a lot as a teammate and as a friend. Um, and I'm sure I'll be doing the same here in New York. Being roommates with Garrett, the best way to explain it is like every night you get a five-star cooked meal. Even if he's cooking for himself, he's going to like marinate whatever he's cooking properly. He's going to do everything with the, the perfect execution. He's going to have a perfect wine pairing for it. But we had a lot of fun, a lot of great conversations. Uh, you know, he's an extremely interesting guy. And I'm ready to, uh, to get back in the, the room with him and get to talk pitching more and get to talk more with Garrett. Garrett Cole would be a pretty good guy if you had to bunk up in Bradenton, Florida for seven weeks. I think that would be a good choice if you were a Pirates minor leaguer back in the day, because Garrett has told all of us, I think, and you know, he's certainly told me about it, how he, uh, he grew up in a house where uh, they cooked every night and, you know, big, thick Italian cookbook. And they would just kind of go through like, uh, like that movie, Julie and Julia, where <laughs> Julia Child uh, you know, you cooked through that. And I've just made two references on this podcast to movies from the, uh, the 2000s and 90s. So get me back in the present day. But um, yeah, I think that Garrett Cole, and obviously he, he's such a, uh, a, a kind of a stickler for attention. Um, so yeah, I think that was the one thing Jameson said was um, he follows every recipe to the T. He's going to, he's very meticulous. He's going to do everything right. And so I don't think they were going hungry in that spring training apartment back in the day with the pirates. I'm just going to say, color me unsurprised that Garrett Cole would be a perfectionist about things like this. That, that, that kind of tracks with what we know about him thus far. Absolutely. It was interesting to hear Jameson talk about the ways that his delivery has changed over the years, especially as he's coming through his rehab now. One thing that I found fascinating that he talked about and that also the Athletics' Lindsay, Lindsay Adler wrote a full story about is the way that when he pitches now, when he does his bullpens now, which he says have been very effective – he notices that it's so different that he actually tried at one point to throw the old way, and it felt so uncomfortable that it led him to believe that muscle memory had taken over in a sense and that his new delivery was his real delivery. And I think that that's encouraging, especially it's encouraging when you hear the numbers that he's around 95 and all that stuff, but also when you hear that just the change has kind of taken I changed the way my lower body works. Um, I'm focused on like more of a hip hinge movement, which gets your, your glutes involved. Um, you hear as a kid, like throw with your legs. Well, I had never been properly taught what that really meant. So now I'm actually activating my legs in a way that takes some pressure off my arm. 
by cleaning up the way my lower body moves, it shortened up my arm path. So I used to have this really long whippy arm motion and now it's much closer to the body. It might look like a short arm action to a lot of people. Um, but really it's just the product of the way my body's moving. The ball is coming out extremely well. I've added some spin on my fastball. I'm getting more carry on it, added some spin on my slider. Um, so health is the main goal, but I think performance will be a really good byproduct of it. And certainly look, I mean, he also talked about, you know, his arsenal and, and the, how his curveball's always been really effective, but he's been able to add spin on a lot of his other stuff at this point. He said something that was very interesting to me. And he said how, you know, when you're a kid back in the little league and all that, uh, they tell you to throw with your legs and nobody ever really explained to him what that meant. And he thinks that that is why, uh, he had so much stress on his arm and his upper body because, uh, you know, I, I'd have to go back like you, John, and, and watch the video earlier in his career. But uh, mechanically, he feels like he was throwing all arm back in the day. So now he's trying to focus more on uh, his hips and lower half rotation. And he thinks that's going to take some stress off of that arm and uh, allow him to actually uh, get a little bit more behind it. And so, um, you know, it's crazy to think that, uh, a professional pitcher could get to that point and not really understand the mechanics of what they're doing. But, um, you know, I, I kind of figure probably in little league and high school and coming up, uh, he was probably so dominant that coaches were hesitant to change anything with him and, and to instruct him to do it differently because it was working. You know, it's, it's funny, and maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here with the story that I'm working on, but I had the chance a couple times in the last uh, week and a half to speak to Davey Garcia for a story. And unlike some of these other guys we're talking about, Davey's a guy who kind of came to pitching a little late. He was really, when he was in the academies and everything like that, as, as a kid, he was just a regular fielder, infielder, outfielder, whatever. Once it started coming time for teams to sign him, they all really liked his arm, and he he converted to a pitcher there. But one thing he was telling me, if, if you go back to the difference between 2019 Davy Garcia and 2020 Garcia, one of the very obvious changes that you see is that he moved over on the rubber. And I was asking him what other changes he made, and he said he was really relying on his right leg a lot more off the mound. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not a pitching coach. I'm not a pitching scout. And the thing is, to me, I'm listening to this and being like, well, duh, of course. That's why the rubber's there, because you get all the leverage from your back leg right? And I'm listening to this guy who has more success than I could ever imagine pitching. And it's more weird talent, to hear that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's like, oh, you're, you're just learning this? <laughs> Davey's a kid. I mean, he's, he's what, 20, 21, 22 years old. So, um, you know, I think that um, one of the, the fun things about 2020, and there weren't many, but uh, one of the cool things was that we were able to get a sneak peek of guys like Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt and uh, on the big league stage, probably a little quicker than they would have if the season had not been uninterrupted. Um, so uh, I, I think that, you know, if, there were if the minor leagues were in session, you would have wanted Davey to, to continue pitching at AAA rather than hurry him up to Yankee Stadium. But uh, we got a chance to see him and uh, he held his own. He, he was unflappable there. But I think that that was supposed to be a development year for Davey Garcia in a lot of ways. And um, just because of the, the state of the world and, and need at the big league level, we actually got to see a sneak peek a little faster than uh, we might have otherwise. And these are things that uh, the professional coaches, uh, there's a reason there are coaches at every minor league level. And, and they're not just there to 
to, you know, sit in the dugout and look pretty. They're, they're there for instruction. And um, I, I think that that was taken away in a lot of ways. You know, one of the, Clark Schmidt told me that he thought he got more one-on-one instruction at the alternate site last year than he ever would have if, uh, you know, he was in Scranton, say, and the rail riders were, were going around, busting around to play teams like Lehigh Valley and Buffalo and whatever. This was actually a year where for those players who were lucky enough to not be sitting at home and could actually be on a field, um, they were able to get uh, more individualized attention and kind of focus on those things. And, um, you know, much like Tyon talked about, uh, maybe that uncovers something going forward. Yeah, I mean, you you hit it on the head, and this one that I talked to them about, I talked to Matt Blake about, is that if not for the pandemic, and yeah, like you said, they would have just been playing games, the chance that they got to tweak things and to construct things and not have to worry about bringing it out to a game, because I mean, that's something for me that always fascinates me, because these guys are used to success, these guys are used to thriving, and then you tell them, go down to the minors and work on this thing, knowing that you're going to be turning your back a lot and watching balls go over the fence while you try to work on something in a game that's televised and that people are buying tickets for. I imagine that's hard. Well, with the alternate site last year, you didn't have to do that. You could literally just take as many reps as you needed and simulate runners, simulate batters, and then reset and keep going so you could work on moving over on the rubber or anything like that. And it's, uh, I think that there's a lot of benefits that you're going to see some of the young pitchers and not just Schmidt and David Garcia, but some of the other guys, some of the other names that we saw glimpses of last year, Mike King, we saw more than a glimpse of, we saw plenty of him, but Nick Nelson, guys like that, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, what, what they gained from last year, because I think for a lot of the lower level players, we know that there's a lot they lost last year because yeah. they really had a year off. Nick Nelson is actually a guy that the Yankees are very high on. And I think that he's a name that uh, fans should know coming into the spring training camp. But you're absolutely right in that. Um, I, I think the, comp- the com- competitive juices take over with these guys. They, they've played games all their life. So it's really hard to kind of shift back into a gear where you're like, all right, the games don't matter. What I'm here for is development. I mean, these guys want to win and they've got a team of guys behind them. If I'm Davey Garcia and I'm Clark Schmidt uh, and I'm pitching for the rail riders, let's say, I've got eight guys behind me and I've got my teammates in the dugout and they don't want to watch me get my brains beat in while I'm tinkering with a changeup or something like that. So, um, you know, and like you said, there's 5,000 people in the stands and I don't want to embarrass myself in front of them. So I'm going to try and get this guy at the plate out. I'm not going to kind of go to my third best pitch and and fool around with that. So, um, you know, in that situation, when they're in an empty ballpark and they're facing their own teammates day after day after day, you know, the the eighth time I'm facing Clint Frazier early in July, like maybe I'll try something different and I'll, I'll try working on this or that and see if I get different results out of it. I think there was a lot of experimentation that was able to take place that, uh, would never have happened if they were playing against other teams and trying to win games because these guys do want to win. I know we don't put a whole lot of stock in, say, who wins the International League Championship, but, you know, if you're competing and you're on the field, you want to win that game and, and you want to win a ring. It's Maybe it's not a World Series ring, but, um, you know, being a AAA champion is better than finishing in last place or having an ERA of eight or whatever. You know what, though? Obviously, the priority for... The Yankees, just like most teams, will always be to use those minor league systems to develop players. But I can tell you, I've spoken to people in the Yankees player development system. It is incredibly important to them to teach winning and to get these players to win. They want them to learn how to compete to be winners. And I think I've told this story in the podcast before. One of my favorite stories I've ever heard in talking to a player about something like this was Andy Pettit told me that he had a rehab start in September one year. And... 
I think it was Trenton, but he was sent down just because it was the only place that was playing and it was a playoff game. And normally a guy like Andy Pettit, late in his career, he's going to go for a rehab start. He's going to figure out the two things or three things he needs to do and just kind of do them. But this was a playoff game and he he decided he was going to watch all the video on these guys. He was going to prepare like it was a major league start because he owed it to the players there who had been competing for that championship to treat it like it was real. And that that's something that's a nice, fun story. We know Andy Pettit's a great guy, so we're not totally surprised. But it's also, that's how winners prepare. That's how winners work. And he was showing the guys down. I, I think Again, I think it was double A. If I'm wrong, I'm apologize. But he was showing them. It's not just about being better. It's not just about being really good. This is how you prepare to win. Knowing Andy, that story does not surprise me at all. Do you know how he pitched that day? I'm curious now. I, you know what? That's a great question. I don't. That, I feel terrible now that uh, I, I think I've used that story in a lot of different places and I actually don't remember how he pitched. Well, I'm sure no matter whether he got the win or the loss or whatever, I'm sure he sprung for a huge, really delicious spread for those players. And as we know, that is the most important thing that a major leaguer can do <laughs> when they go down to the minors. Do not skimp on the spread because those guys have had too many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, you got to give those guys some steak and lobster or whatever. You got to you got to really go all out when you go down to the minors. That's uh, that's kind of the the toll of uh, being down there in the minor league system. The guys look forward to when the big leaguers come for that reason. Let's be honest. If we're talking about Andy Pettit, he probably uh, went out and hunted the dinner for them and, <laughs> and brought them a fresh kill. I don't know what he would have hunted in Trenton, New Jersey, but uh, you know, I guess that's up to Andy. So you know, before I let you go, obviously – Again, we're doing this late January, but we're getting close to the time when, it's, when we're ready to think about this. Let's look ahead to whatever the date is. I believe April 1, opening day. Give me how you project at this point. How, how do the Yankees pitchers line up? What's what's the order of 1 to 5? I think you're probably counting on Cole 1, duh. Uh, you're going to go Kluber 2, I would think. I think you could probably go Tyon 3, uh, Montgomery 4, and then I, I expect to see a an open competition for the fifth spot. You know, we haven't mentioned Domingo Herman yet. Uh, he's another guy who's coming back after not pitching at all last year. I think he's got to be in the mix, but I wouldn't guarantee him a spot. Uh, Michael King, Clark Schmidt, Davey Garcia, Nick Nelson, as we've uh, mentioned. Um, I would have mentioned Miguel Yahure here, but now he's been traded. So, um, yeah, I think that they're going to have a lot of candidates there for the five spot. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that Corey Kluber and, Jamison Tyon are each going to make 32 starts and, and go wire to wire, but I, I would probably bet against that. So um, having that depth is going to, uh, the Yankees are going to lean on it sooner or later. Um, so I think that it's going to be important to have all those guys in line, get ready. Um, you know, we, we still don't even really know what the minor league season is going to look like, but if it is going and, and guys can build up as starters, I think that's going to be important. Say if you have a Garcia or a Schmidt who doesn't make the team, I'd want to see them starting every fifth day and remain online because uh, they're going to need it at some point, whether it's Montgomery, whether it's Herman coming back after not pitching, like I said, uh, in more than a year professionally. So there's some high risk, but there's also big reward in this rotation. And um, if, if those three guys are taking the ball every fifth day at the top, especially in Cole, Kluber, and Tyon, then I, I really do like the Yankees' chances, and I like the way they, they match up against the rest of this American League East. I think that's fair to say. Obviously, the last thing I'll leave you with, uh, we're at the time of year where everything can change, you know, minute to minute. Who knows, as we're recording this, how many more changes will come before 
we released this, but of course, recently the Yankees also let go Adam Adovino in a, a rare trade with the Red Sox. Like we said, I think that we can all pretty much squint at this point and see the Yankees opening day roster. I'm curious what you think those last one or two, not necessarily people, but like ideas, philosophical ideas the Yankees have to, to just fill out those last spots on the roster. We didn't even mention the Adovino trade, and, and I, that opens Brian Cashman up to make more moves here. That, that clears up uh, at least $8 million more if the Yankees truly are going to try and stay under the $210 million luxury tax threshold, which it appears they are. So uh, giving that flexibility, I see a bullpen arm coming in at some point here. If that's a Trevor Rosenthal, somebody that's a name we've been hearing a bunch, you know, this team now from the team that you saw in the postseason against the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, they've now, they re-signed Zach Britton and Chapman will be back as a closer and Chad Green is going to be back. But now you've lost Tommy Canely, who you only had for one inning anyway. You've lost Adam Adovino now. And so that is kind of up for grabs in the bullpen. Don't forget Jonathan Holder. Sure, Jonathan Holder was non-tendered. So I think that some of those guys who I mentioned for the number five spot could collapse in the bullpen, specifically a Nick Nelson type perhaps. But I would like to see them add one more arm to the bullpen. And we keep hearing about possible reunion with Brett Gardner. So I have not ruled that out. I think that Gardy wants to play another year. Obviously, he only wants to play in the Bronx. He's made that pretty clear. So if he's able to come back for less than he made last year, he's 37. We're talking about a one-year deal here. Uh, He's probably not even guaranteeing him a starting job the way that Clint Frazier played last year. But I think Gardy is so important to this team for just a clubhouse atmosphere, a leadership role. I I do see the Yankees bringing back Gardner at some point. I think that he's not going to want to go play somewhere else. And he talked about last year that he doesn't want his last games in the majors to be played in an empty ballpark. So I think the Yankees are going to do right by him, give him that opportunity. I expect him to come in and be a part-time outfielder and, you know, a guy who can play a left-handed bat important on this team. That's so right-handed heavy. He can play left field. He can play center field. I guess you can put him in right if you really had to, but I see Gardner coming back at some point. And so uh, I I would look for a bullpen arm first and, uh, you know, Guardi will still be out there, I think. I think they can wait on him a little bit. I would go after a bullpen arm right now if I'm Brian Cashman. I know that Brian Cashman listens to this religiously. Brian, you've heard uh, from our Brian, Brian Hoke. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I-, I assume that he'll get right on it. Thanks, Brian. Well, you know, now that I've said it, right. Now I'm speaking in existence, right? There it is. Well, as always, Brian Hoke, thank you so much for joining us on this. I hope that everyone will check out Daily Bases on Yankees.com to get – a little bit of a, a nightly uh, recap from Brian about what's happened. Things are starting to move fast right now, and it's going to be exciting to see where that goes. But of course, beyond that, we have the Bronx Zoom coming out in June. That's Brian's look at the most bizarre 2020 season. Uh, another great book from our one of our favorite writers. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us as always. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us because, like I said, we're going to have Yankees Magazine Podcast listener Calvin Curtis checking in to chat with us as part of the Yankees Magazine subscription package that he purchased. So I hope that you will listen to what Calvin has to say and also go buy your own package. We'd love to talk to you, too. Thanks so much. We'll see you in a minute. Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for 
the Rockies in. The Yankees now lead it by a score three to two. Hey, folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast, and as promised, we are joined right now by Calvin Curtis, who purchased a subscription package that included a chance to participate in an episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. And actually, I should say, it was uh, your girlfriend, I believe, Nina, who purchased the package for you, so it was quite a nice little gift. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'd I'd like to welcome you here. It's really cool to be chatting with you. Thank you, John. Thanks very much. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how, how far back do you go with the Yankees? Because I should note, I don't know how many Yankees fans we have in Salt Lake City, Utah, but I imagine it's uh, not a huge number. Oh, there are quite a few. <laughs> um, I, I grew up here, and there's probably four or five reasons I became a big Yankee fan. I still live in Salt Lake City. Our first professional team here was the Utah Stars back in like 1970, 71 in the old ABA. So prior to that, you know, living in Salt Lake, you got to pick and choose what uh, professional teams you wanted to be interested in. And a lot of Cardinals fans, a lot of Dodger fans, a lot of Packers fans, and of course, a lot of Broncos fans. I had a brother that I just worshipped who was 11 years older than I was. And so if he was a Yankee fan, I was going to be a Yankee fan too. That makes sense. 27 years of championships and the players, Ruth and Gehrig and DiMaggio, Ford and Mantle. If you're a history buff, there's a lot to love about the Yankees, right? 1920s and and so on. And then there's the allure of New York City. Well, absolutely. And and speaking of the allure of New York City, hopefully everything is a little bit back to normal this year and we can get fans in the ballpark because part of the package that you bought – included two tickets to a Yankees game. So we would obviously love to have you in the Bronx this year. And I uh, just want to mention to everyone else, these packages, the holiday packages that we were selling, they're going to be available for just a few more days. So if you want to get a voucher for two Yankees tickets and all kinds of other packages, uh, now is the time to do it. They come down February 1st. So we've extended the holiday season as far as we can. But at some point, we need to uh, get ready for the 2021 baseball season. But Calvin, I'm curious, who who was your first favorite Yankee? What is your first great Yankees memory? What kind of how how far back do you go with the team? The first memory is Mickey Mantle, and again because uh, I had an older brother who who loved Mantle, and you know he'd come from Oklahoma and such a great player, great hitter, just a lot to admire. Mickey Mantle was a little bit before my time, of course, but he's definitely one of those guys who, and I feel the same way about DiMaggio and a lot of these players. Guys who, in some sense, they're not that far removed and, you know, where my parents have memories, things like that. 
and man, it, it must have been something else to get to see those guys play. I really, uh, I'm I, I'm the type who I always try to mention that it's pretty special to get to see the guys that we get to see now that we're going to be talking about you know, Aaron Judge and Derek Jeter and you know all these guys the way that our parents talked about Mickey Mantle and things like that. But I do uh, always say, man, would have been something. There is just again so much there to admire. We are thrilled to have you on here to chat with us. I asked you before this started what, what a topic that you were interested in. Uh, you mentioned being interested in the rehab process for players and the injury, the whole process of injuries. This is a topic that I've uh, learned a lot about over my years covering the team. I went back and did a little bit more research as well. But also, and we've been discussing this, you and I, for about two weeks now, the timing couldn't be better because just this week, uh, the team introduced Jamison Tyone. We talked about him a little bit in our first segment, and you got to hear some clips of his. But the thing with Jamison Tyone, it, it, the question is going to be coming back from a second Tommy John surgery, rehabbing Tommy John surgery twice. So I think that that's a great segue to talk about this process. So I'd love it if you just posed the question as you wanted to. Like, What, what kind of stuff are you interested in about the rehab process? Well, um, first off, Diagnosing injuries and team physicians as opposed to uh, personal physicians. Injured reserve, 10 days, 30 days, 60 days. How is that determined? How, how is it uh, done retroactively? And then rehab itself. I, I posed the example of someone having, say, a wrist injury as opposed to a thigh injury or a hamstring or what have you. Um, do injured players still travel with the team? Do they have facilities available to them in, in visiting cities. And then finally, John, the whole issue of how the player returns to the lineup and who makes that determination. So this is all fascinating stuff. And it, it, it's one of the hardest things to write about in some ways, because on the one hand, the, the simplest answer to your question is the team tries to keep the guys around as much as possible. Now, that doesn't always mean with the major league team. A lot of times it means in the Tampa facility, it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit more controlled there. But the goal generally is that the team would love when possible for a player to be rehabbing in-house, in a sense. Obviously, to use an extreme example, a Tommy John surgery that guy knows, you know, Luis Severino, for example, who's going through it right now, he knew from the moment he went under the knife, he was looking at about 16 to 18 months, probably. So it's not as though he's going to be in Tampa every single day during that process. But it's a very controlled situation of what he's supposed to be doing day to day. So the contact is constant, really. And for a more minor thing, I can speak to you, for example, when the team is home and we're in the clubhouse back in the halcyon days of, you know, a year and a half ago, when we were able to go into clubhouses. Yeah, you would see that player around a lot if it was a minor injury, because especially a minor injury, they're trying to not lose their form to the extent possible. So you mentioned a wrist versus an ankle injury. Well, if it's an ankle injury, they're not going to be running, but maybe they'll be doing a little bit of, you know, dry swinging, things like that. Um, just, just try to keep it easy. Uh, if it's a wrist injury, they will be running, but they're probably not going to be swinging at all. So it, it really depends on that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's always a challenge, and it's always interesting. And I, I'm curious, as, as we get more into this conversation, what, what specifically uh, brought this up for you as a topic that you're curious about? Well, John, I think, you know, there's the fictional Roy Hobbs, right, who leaves the hospital to to play in the penultimate game. But you've got this concept of... A player, and it's a short season, relatively speaking, 
162 games, what have you. And if somebody misses a great deal of time uh, from a fan standpoint, that causes some frustration, right? And, and you're thinking, you know, gee, why can't he get better? Or is it, are, does he have to be back to 100% before he can play or what have you? That's an interesting point, and I have a couple of different answers that I've picked up over the years from that. The first thing is no, no two, no two people are the same. No two bodies are the same. The Yankees have incredible doctors who diagnose all this stuff, and an incredible training staff. And it should be noted that when they overhauled their training staff last year, including bringing in Eric Cressy, Eric Cressy is a guy who players around the league work out with, not just Yankees players. So he's a he he's kind of revered in the industry as a guy who who, who players trust their bodies to, and, and so it's always challenging because I can promise you this: there is no player who wants to be on the injured list. There is no player who does not want to be on the field contributing. Anytime you hear fans, even when their frustration maybe is understandable, even when it just seems like why can't this guy get back or whatever, that guy wants to get back. No one wants to be sitting there and watching. If for no other reason, then most of these guys still have another contract ahead of them, and they know that every day they're still competing for that contract. I would say in my career, the player who gave me the greatest understanding of the rehab process was Greg Bird. Obviously, he's not with the team anymore, and obviously his career never turned into what it was supposed to. But, you know, Greg Bird, after his first you know half season, comes up, and everyone's expecting the world out of him, and then in that next offseason... He goes under the knife for the first time. He had been saying that he had been hurt basically since high school, and he finally got it fixed, and he thought everything was going to be great. And I spent a lot of time with him before the surgery and a lot of time with him during the rehab and after. And fans, by the end of it, years later, when he kind of never could get back on the team, they said all kinds of things about Greg Bird, about him not wanting it. Like, let me tell you, that guy opened up to me in it about how vulnerable he felt and how vulnerable he was willing to be with me about how hard it was. All he wanted to do is play baseball. And he didn't understand why his body was breaking down the way it did. And maybe that makes me biased because, you know, I've seen the emotion on the guy's face. um, And it's hard, therefore, when for me to think about all the other players who must be going through the same thing. But these guys burn. It's all they've been doing their entire lives is excelling athletically. The last thing they want to do is be seen as someone who can't cut it on a big league field. Oh, yeah. John, hey, that's really interesting. I did not know that Greg had such an injury history. And, um, you know, I don't think many fans did. And his injury was somewhat mysterious. But to hear you explain um, his motivation and desire, that's that's really interesting. Puts a whole different uh, sheen on that. It's a shame, too. And, and and I will say it is different now. I think that there is no question. People love throwing out the example. And, and this isn't exactly the same thing. But let's talk, you know, Nolan Ryan. Well, he could throw 300 innings a season every time and not get hurt. Why can't anyone else? And the answer is because Nolan Ryan was a little bit of a freak. You know, Nolan Ryan's body just held up. But if you threw 15 people out there and told them to do what Nolan Ryan did, most of them were going to get hurt. So it's very easy right now to compare players who have injury histories to the outliers who didn't from years back. But in the same way, not everyone who drove a car in the 1960s without a seatbelt on died in a car crash. At the same time, how many preventable deaths were there because not enough people use seatbelts. So I think what that leads to is 
this is a fair question to ask, if not really an easy one to answer, what is 100% for an athlete? And what I mean by that is if you speak to any player who's 120 games into the season, let's say, in August, what they're going to tell you is, of course, they don't feel 100%. They're exhausted. They're just beat down. It's really hot outside, and it's really hard to stay at your peak whenever day you're going out there, getting blazed in the sun. So there's the question of when you're rehabbing, what are you trying to get back to? I remember a press conference last year with Brian Cashman where a player, I think it was Aaron Judge, uh, he tried to come back from an injury. Right away, it seemed like he was hurt again. And what Cashman said is, this isn't at this point like a subjective thing. This is objective. It's called a failed rehab. So if the injury, if it's the same injury, right when you come back, that means the rehab failed. And what that means is by the team's rules, and I assume most teams are the same way, they double the time of the rehab. So if you were out two weeks, For the first injury and you come back with the same injury, they're going to sit you down for four weeks this time. And so then it it begs the question, what do you what do you want as a fan for Aaron Judge to do in that situation? Because the maybe more macho parts of us, we want him to say, "Okay, don't tell anyone you're hurt. Go out there because we can't stand to be without you for four weeks. Now, maybe the more nuanced side says Aaron Judge, who's playing hurt for four weeks right now. Instead of sitting down for four weeks, that's going to make him less effective in the playoffs. That's going to make him way less effective probably in the future. And maybe that means that in the offseason, instead of being able to rest up for two weeks and then get right back into his routine, he's going to have to have surgery and be out for months. And, and so it's all these things. Yeah, there's nothing we want more, whether we're a player or a fan or a writer or anyone. Of course, you want the guy in the field. It, it, it's, just, it's, it's very complicated because what they're trying to do is not – just protect you for the next game. They're trying to protect a guy like Aaron Judge for seven years, if not more. So I take it that the the player needs to feel like he's ready to go. And then uh, presumably the physicians weigh in as well. And then I assume ultimately the general manager, the manager weigh in on bringing someone back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my understanding, of course, and again, this is just my understanding, is the GM is going to defer in a lot of senses to the player and the doctor um, and the trainer. You know, the the GM can't say how your knee feels. And again, though, there is a push-pull there because the team wants the players to be honest. Again, it goes back to we, we have this idea that the player should pretend he's fine, pretend he's fine, pretend he's fine. The team wants the guy to be honest. The team wants the guy to say, trust us, that we're not just going to forget about you if you come here, but we need to know if you're hurt. We need to know if you're not 100% because we want to get you as close to that as we can. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough situation. And look, it's going to be very interesting uh, for all Yankees fans and certainly for Yankees players and writers to watch this year because, as I said in the last segment when I was speaking with Brian Hoke, we're pretty good at this point of getting guys back from Tommy John surgery. It's not 100%, but it, it, it's pretty effective, the rehab. Uh, and and I'll tell you what, that rehab, that 18-month rehab, these guys, they have a checklist basically every day of what they have to do um, and, and markers that they need to cross. And it's a crazy thing. And you're just teaching your body how to do something that's really, really like incredibly painful for a while and get it to the point where it feels normal. But it... it in the case of Jameson Tyone, like there's just less of a history with guys coming back twice and it's a lot rockier and he's saying all the right things right now and he says he feels good and there's no reason not to trust him, but it's going to be really interesting to watch because he is an excellent pitcher when he's healthy. And if he's healthy, the Yankees got an excellent pitcher. And if he's not healthy, 
it was it was probably worth the risk anyhow. Sure. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain on this topic. You've been great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us, and I appreciate you guys buying the package. And like I said, I hope that uh, if you guys can make it to Yankee Stadium, you will send us a note. But uh, in the meantime, just uh, hopefully everything stays good for you in Salt Lake City, and in a couple weeks we get to open spring training camps, and you get to start watching Yankees baseball again soon. Absolutely. John, thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll speak to you soon. And for everyone else, I hope that you will follow the lead here and uh, subscribe to Yankees Magazine and do it before February 1st so you can buy one of our very special packages. Calvin, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. And for everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine podcast network. If you liked hearing from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast that Bucky hosts. Each episode features conversations with former teammates and other greats from the game's history. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. For our Yankees Magazine subscribers, we're so grateful for your help in keeping our magazine going. And like I said, if you're looking to renew your subscription or start a new one, there's no better time than right now. You just heard from Calvin Curtis, who purchased one of the packages that came with the ability to participate in the Yankees Magazine segment. And if you want to do the same thing, or look at any of our other holiday offers that come with specials like magazines or free tickets, anything like that, now is the time to do it. Go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS for details. And if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. And you can follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.